Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast, where two longtime gal pals talk about women from history you may not have heard of and drink a lot of wine while doing it. Lots. <laughs> I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we are really excited because I mean, this we're is... We're always really excited. We're always really excited. We're talking about <laughs> badass babes from history. But we're really excited because Kelly is having her surgery soon. Yeah, and this will probably be the last wine I drink on air for a while. Yeah. Because um, this will be, what, one week post-surgery? This episode will release? Yes. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a while before I drink wine. I'll just talk about whatever I'm drinking that day. It'll probably be water. Well, and we want our podcast to be friendly to everyone, whether you do drink, can drink, if you're super into it, if you're not, you don't have to drink to appreciate badass ladies from history. all right? Exactly. I'll still wine, just with an H. But again, <laughs> you know what really speeds up recovery? Seeing amazing five-star reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen. Mm-hmm. Pod chaser. Please. Do it. Sign us up for Podchaser. Podchaser. I mean, we're practically anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Is this for like Podbean because they're their own like sub thing? And I don't know if you can be on there unless you're using their service. They're kind of like a Buzzsprout. Oh, okay. So we might not be on there, but like anywhere else we're probably on. And hey, if we're not where you prefer to listen, let us know where that is and we will do it. We will be there. But seriously, rate us five stars wherever you listen. It's super helpful and it will speed up Kelly's recovery. Right. I'll be back to you sooner. Actually, we're hoping to not have a hiatus. Fingers yeah. crossed. That that's our goal. But, you know, shit happens. So if there's a hiatus after this, it's my fault. Kelly's health is the most important thing and we are all sending good vibes to you. So, I picked our wine this week, and I picked it maybe 10 minutes before I got here, because I had to make an emergency run to the liquor store. Thank God. So it's a Sunday today, and thank God that Minnesota <laughs> liquor stores are no longer closed on Sundays, because yeah, that, that I would have been fucked. <laughs> right? You would have been like, well, I guess we're drinking 3-2 wine from Target. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to get a bunch of wine coolers from Hy-Vee. <laughs> yeah, right. So we are drinking Flower Garden Riesling. And I guess this is like a special series of wine, Flower Garden, and each bottle has a different flower on it. I 100% picked it because one, it's a Riesling, and two, it's really pretty, it's guys. Fuck, guys. I might check keep out this our wine, win- wine Wednesday post because it's this would be a perfect bottle. They have those like where you can like you heat up some kind of like, I'm going to say string, but I'm, I can guarantee you it's not string. And then you like cut off the top of the bottle. Oh, with I know it, what you're talking about. And then you turn about. into a candle. This would be like the perfect bottle to do that. Yeah, because it's clear glass, but then it has the flower paintings like etched yeah. over it. It's pretty as fuck. We should have covered Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah, right. Or honestly, some other flower. Per- so what flower is this? I'm not sure. It's red and pretty. Unfortunately, though, the bottle doesn't have any fun, witty yeah. description. All, all it says is qualitatis wine. I don't know what that's What? Like. I don't know if that's quality, like, in German. I think so, because Rheinhessen, where is this is Riesling, from, yeah. is German. Yeah. So I don't know if that's quality in German. If you're a German listener, please tell us how badly we fucked that word up. But so there's not a description on the bottle, but I did look up the tasting notes for this wine online, which I will read to you now in my sexy NPR voice. Flower Garden shows typical flavors of Riesling from the Rheinhessen region, green apple, citrus aromas, and a hint of flowers. On the palate, good balance between acidity and sweetness. Goes great with fish, poultry, salads, light Asian cuisine, or simply on its own. Which I like. Hey, the so wine you, so goes well with a lot of things. Rheinhessen was Riesling in German. It's not. It's a no. place. I know. Oh, I thought you said it, you I said it it's Riesling. from oh. Rheinhessen. But I, I like you, this my wine. My in like five million different places today. That is totally fine. I'm right there with you. But I like this wine because it goes well with a lot of other things. But it doesn't need to. Right. It's fine on its own. It's fine. 
It's fine. It's an independent wine. It's an independent wine, okay, guys? It's an independent wine that don't need no man. (laughs) Or woman. Or fish. Or fish. (laughs) Fuck those fish. Alrighty. Well, uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot today, but I get to go first. So today... Wait, wait. We didn't cheers. Oh, crap. Rewind. This is episode 35. Why do I still not know how to do this? Because we're just like so into it. We're like, all right, we talked about the wine. Let's go. What are we cheersing to today? Uh, Good health. Good health. Just like my grandma Jean used to say. Again. I would just like to note that like my glass is like half full and Emily's has like a teaspoon in it. (laughs) Well, you refilled yours. And I've also had some sips. And she also has to drive. I don't. Yeah, I'm basically just tasting the wine so I can describe it. It's not as sweet as I thought it would be. It's pretty dry, but I like it. I mean, re- that's kind of the big difference between Rieslings and Moscatos, is that Moscatos are much, maybe not much sweeter, but they're, they are sweeter than Rieslings. Yeah. You know what this tastes like, though? What? It tastes like English garden aesthetic. Like, lots yeah. of colors, but they're all very, like, pale and yeah, muted. it's very muted. It's very good. It's good. But, yeah, it's it's a little dry. It's a little muted. Yeah. It's not, like, say, yeah, showing it's, it's off. It's not like you, like, drink the wine and you're like, wow, like, that one, the this Moscato wine, we had last time, like, This wine just punched me in the yeah, face. Right? This is a very, like, mellow, chill. I'm going to go into my English garden and read Shakespeare. Which is just all sex innuendos anyways. Yes. So, you know. Super classy. But muted sex innuendos. <laughs> all right. Now you can. Now go. I am going first. And this research is months in the making because I started oh, wow. doing it back in June. I was going to cover this woman for Pride Month, but the more research I did, the more I realized I was not going to have time to assemble these notes properly because well, this woman. I've had those people. This woman has done so much. She is larger than life. She is God-tier feminist. Like, oh my God. But I am going to do my best. And before I get started, this is your introduction into this woman. This is not the end-all be-all. I am barely scratching the surface. So please, after this episode, go do more research on your own because there is so much that I couldn't include or just didn't have time to find. So I am covering Audrey Lord. Have you ever heard of her? I mean, maybe briefly when I was doing my research for Pride Month, but I don't think I know her story. Like, it's more like the name rings a bell, but that's about it. Well, so I'm excited. If you don't know who she is or what she's all about, I'm going to let Audrey speak for herself. Audrey described herself as, quote, black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet. Ooh, I like that. Just... Given you a taste. And she was all of these and so much more. Born February 18th, 1934. 57 and three days apart, baby, <laughs> for my birthday. We're February babies. Uh, in New York City, uh, she was born to immigrant parents. Her father was from Barbados and her mother was from Carousel. Audrey grew up in Harlem and was living at the same time that Gladys Bentley was performing. That's and insane. if you remember from Pride Month, she was a, a famous lesbian singer who wore pants and had to get a pants permit to perform in her signature tuxes. Yeah, which were fucking beautiful. And this would have been even more like relevant had I been able to cover Audrey in June when I covered Gladys. So... Audrey was so nearsighted, she was considered legally blind. Wow. Yeah. She must have been largely nonverbal as a young child because she learned to talk at the same time she learned to read, around four years old. Her mother also began teaching her how to write around that time. Audrey's name was originally spelt with a Y. So her name is spelled A-U-D-R-E, but it was originally spelled A-U-D-R-Y. But as a child, she decided to drop the Y because she liked the symmetry of the E endings. I'm sorry. I think it was A-U-D-R-E-Y. So she just dropped the Y. So she liked the E endings in Audrey Lord, L-O-R-D-E. And so as a kid, she's like, no. This This is who I am now. Sometimes Y, not this time. And this is probably like the most artsy thing i've ever heard and i love it and it actually like 
seeing her name written out makes my brain yeah, feel it's, it's calm. very happy. Yeah. Growing up in the 1930s was difficult for Audrey. Her parents were struggling to maintain their real estate business in the heat of the Great Depression. Because they were so busy, Audrey didn't spend a lot of time with her parents. When she did, things were complicated. Audrey's mother was of mixed ancestry and had a lighter complexion. Audrey's father had a darker complexion, which Audrey took after. Her mother had some hang-ups about people with darker skin than hers, so she was very strict with Audrey and administered tough love. This prejudice would dog their relationship throughout Audrey's life. That's so, so this is a thing we even see. There's like prejudice against On both sides. people yeah. with lighter or darker skin, even yeah. if you're from the same race. And so I think it was her mother could pass for Spanish and she took a lot of pride in that. And her family took a lot of pride in that because she had a lighter complexion. But even though she loved her husband, she didn't like that her daughter had inherited the darker complexion and her family wasn't super into it either, which is shitty. Like, I know there's a lot of layers here, but that sucks. Audrey found her outlet in poetry. She would memorize poems and recite them as a way of communicating. So if someone asked her how she was, instead of saying the default, fine, she would recite a poem that expressed how she was feeling. Audrey began writing her own poetry around 12 years old in high school. Oh, and in high school. She submitted a poem to the school's literary journal. When they rejected it for being inappropriate... I don't know what they mean by that. She had it published in Seventeen Magazine because fuck you, high school literary journal. <laughs> like, and That's I don't know what funny. that poem was. I don't know what the context was, but I'm sure it was totally fine. I'm sure oh, I'm she sure. wasn't like using a ton of coarse language or talking about like that age, when not. tits bounce, they have this weight to them, like or something graphic. Exactly. I get it. During high school, she was active in poetry workshops sponsored by the Harlem Writers Guild, but she often felt like an outcast because she was a lesbian. She remarked later that she, w- quote, was both crazy and queer, but they thought I would grow out of it all. Well, we all know how that shit turns out. It was clear that Audrey's identity as a lesbian and a black woman would leave her being seen as other by those around her. So she was I with did a the- major eye roll right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have a headache from, like, how much I was eye-rolling doing my research. Like, stop. Just stop. Just stop. Much of Audrey's youth must have been filled with loneliness, confusion, and doubt. However, in college, Audrey spent a year at the National University of Mexico. She described this time of affirmation and renewal, confirming her identity as a lesbian and a poet. It sounds to me that this was really when she struck out on her own and was able to figure out who she was inclusively. That's awesome. She finished her studies at Hunter College and graduated in 1959. After college, she took a page from my mother's book and worked as a librarian and later even received her master's in library science. Ah, Gwen would be proud. She would. During this time, she became an active member of the Greenwich Village LGBTQ community. And for those of you who remember uh, when we talked about Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, Greenwich Village Mm -hmm. was like the center center, of the LGBTQ community in New York. In 1962, Audrey married attorney Edward or Edwin... Something. It was written both Ed. ways. We'll just say Ed. Ed. Good old Ed. Rollins. A white gay man. I can't definitively speak to why the two married or what their relationship was like, but it's most likely that it was a relationship of convenience to hide their identities. Yep. Yeah. Audrey and Ed did have two children, Elizabeth and Jonathan. And I'm sure, especially at that time, it was like, well, we, we can't fucking to, marry yeah. the people we want. And I don't know Ed's situation and how closeted he was or his deal. Throughout it all, she continued writing. In 1968, Audrey left New York alone to be a writer in residence at Tougaloo College in Mississippi. Similar to her time in Mexico, Audrey's time in Mississippi was transformative and had a deep impact on her as an artist. During this time, she published her first volume of poems called The First Cities. 
A poetry critic said that Audrey, quote, does not wave a black flag, but her blackness is there, implicit in the bone. At Tougaloo College, Audrey spread her wings, leading workshops comprised of black undergrads who were very invested in the civil rights movement. She became more in touch with her identity as a black artist and reaffirmed her desire to live out her, quote, crazy and queer identity, along with devoting herself to her poetic art. She published a follow-up volume of poems titled Cables to Rage, which sounds metal, and I love it. Yeah, it really does. Uh, which were born from her t- time at Tougaloo, which, can we just stop for a moment? That is the most fun college name to say. It really is. Tougaloo! Like, can I go to college there? I like to think at football games, they say it just like that, oh, yeah. like a high pitch, everyone just goes, Tougaloo! Yeah, that's like their <laughs> chant. Yes. One of her most famous poems, Martha, comes from this volume. This is the first writing in which Audrey comes out as a lesbian. Martha is essentially a love letter to a woman named Martha, but it also explores the difficulties that come with being a lesbian and being in love due to society's unacceptance and how society tries to force gay people to conform to heteronormativity. For example, electroshock therapy. Mm. So this volume of poems is metal and sad. Also, while in Mississippi, Audrey met Francis Clayton, a psychology professor. I couldn't find definitive dates on when their relationship started, but Audrey and Francis became romantically involved and would remain together until 1989. When Audrey returned to New York, she realized she needed to end her marriage, and she and her husband were divorced in 1970. So I feel like that's a big turning point. She doesn't feel the need or the desire to hide anymore. Like, I don't have to be married to a man. I want to be free and explore my romantic options that Whatever I'm comfortable way I want. Yeah. yeah. In 1977, Audrey traveled to Nigeria for the Second World Black and African Festival of Arts and Culture. There she met sculptor and painter Mildred Thompson, with whom she had a relationship from 1977 to 1978. Aww. So they had, like, a, a quick thing. Audrey later met Dr. Gloria I. Joseph, who was also a black feminist icon. Gloria became Audrey's life partner, and they would stay together until Audrey's death. Together, Audrey and Gloria founded multiple organizations, including the Shea Lumumba School for Truth, Women's Coalition of St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, which combats domestic violence and helps women get out of dangerous situations, Sisterhood in Support of Sisters in South Africa, and Doc Lock Apiary, which is where beehives are kept. I had to look up what an apiary was. Oh, yeah, I knew what an apiary was. And I'm like, oh, she's saving women and black women and lesbians, and And she's saving the bees. So quick side note, I was trying to find more research on, like, these organizations, and I found the site for the Women's Coalition of St. Croix. For some insight as to what women trying to leave an abusive relationship have to deal with, the site has a pop-up that reads, Warning, computer use can be monitored and is impossible to completely clear. If you are afraid that your internet use might be monitored and you need to exit the website in a hurry, click the escape bar at the top of the page. Dial 911 from a landline or 340-772-9111 from a mobile phone if you are in an emergency situation. This is a website where people are trying to find help and the pop-up is like, by the way, your abuser might be monitoring this. If you don't feel safe, get the fuck out now, right. like, but for your run. own safety. Which I'm like, I've never really thought about that. But that's absolutely a problem because they have these apps now. Oh, yeah, easily. For your phone and for your computer. And someone can download it onto your device. You and you have it. no yeah. idea it's there. You can't find it and Pass- delete it. Password protect your phone, people. Yeah. Yeah, don't let anyone into your fucking phone ever. So, being a black gay feminist icon and writer kept Audrey very busy. In 1973, she published a third volume of poetry, From a Land Where Other People Live, in which she explored not only her own identity, but issues with identity in general, along with global issues. Audrey co-founded the Kitchen Table Women of Color Press in an intersectional feminist press that advocated for the rights of women of color, combated racism that was prevalent in the women's live movement uh, of the 70s and 80s. That's awesome. And just kind of generally gave women of color a voice. 
She also became an associate of the Women's Institute for Freedom of the Press, a nonprofit publishing organization, while teaching at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, because she's also like teaching at a bunch of colleges throughout all this. Audrey fought to create a black studies department. Oh, really? In 1985, Audrey traveled to Cuba as part of a delegation of black women writers. The trip was sponsored by the Black Scholar Union, uh, no, the by the Black Scholar and the Union of Cuban Writers. While there, Audrey was touched by the sense of sisterhood that she and her fellow writers had. They also had the opportunity to visit with Cuban poets Nancy Morejon and Nicholas Guilin, G-Y-L-L-E-N, Guilin, I'm so sorry, and discuss the Cuban Revolution and its impact on racism and the LGBTQ community. Audrey was not done gracing the world with her power. Good. And in 1984, she was invited to West Berlin to work as a visiting professor at the Free University of Berlin. While in Berlin, Audrey mentored other notable writers and activists, including May Aim, Ika Hugel Marshall, and Helga M.D. She also helped to propel the Afro-German movement and even coined the term Afro-German. So the Afro-German movement addressed issues of intersectionality with uh, race, gender, and sexual orientation. It encouraged activists like May, Ika, and Helga to write themselves into existence. So it was like, hey... Here in Germany, like we're black, we're women, we're queer, right? We exist, and we're yeah, we're and here. we and y- like you need to acknowledge us, and you need to give us rights. And so these women basically weaponize their words to be like, we're not some fringe. We didn't just pop up out of nowhere. We've always been here. You're we're just, a part yeah, of the right? community. Like, fucking listen to us, exactly. Audrey's time in Berlin is often referred to as the Berlin years, and there was even an award-winning documentary made in 2012 about this period it's of like her the life. Monet blue period. Yeah. The Berlin years. The Berlin years. I want Berlin years. Like, Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. I have the Scottish months. <laughs> Scottish. I traveled to Scotland for like Scottish three months. Scottish half year. I've got I've got my Illinois period from growing up, and I've been in the Minnesota years for like fifteen years now. Oh, yeah, you had a, you had a short Wisconsin like leeway for four years. The Wisconsin Tribunal. <laughs> the Wisconsin Tribulations. Oh, it's the Wisconsin Quartet. The Wisconsin we were there for four Quartet. Years. <laughs> Oh, my God. Throughout all of her activism, Audrey was writing. Her poems and prose explored themes of identity, pride in her blackness and her sexuality, anger at injustice, and intersectionality. And I keep saying this word. And for anyone who doesn't know, intersectionality explores how overlapping identities can affect the marginalization of different individuals and how it's important to address this when fighting oppression. So take a black woman, for example. The white power structure has oppressed them for being black, while the patriarchal power structure has oppressed them for being women. Addressing the oppression of only one of these identities ignores how they overlap. And uh, and people with these overlapping identities are even more vulnerable. Right, and that doesn't even um, start including, like, sexual identities. Exactly, because Audrey is black, she's a woman, and she's a lesbian. She might technically also be... I mean, she's legally blind, so right, disability like goes into there. Too. Like, <laughs> so, we, and we've seen this in the feminist movement, which, in, like, has excluded black women, trans women, women of color in general, yep. along with the LGBTQ movement, which also has in- excluded people of color, trans people, bisexuals, like... We just need to fucking stop. This is not a, like, middle-class white person's movement. This is for everyone. Yeah. And if you leave people behind, you're not helping anyone. Like, you need to fucking stop. Right. While the term intersectionality was first coined by black feminist Kimberly Williams Crenshaw in 1989, Audrey was all too familiar with it as she was living it. Yep. And it was a reoccurring subject in her writing. Because she had an incredible perspective Oh, I'm sure. Just and and she 
you see all the time she's struggling with her identity because she's not fully accepted anywhere. Even her own mother. Well, yeah, so yeah be- and because, yeah, her mother didn't make her feel comfortable. So, like, she probably feels like she's not even included in what should be her own community. Exactly. You know? She wrote that all forms of oppression are interrelated. And they are. Oh, yeah. If you can be victimized for being a woman, you can be victimized for anything. If you can be... It's... Yeah, it's ah! all... What is that quote? Injustice for one is injustice for all, or we can't have equality unless we're all equal, or something. Inequality for one is inequality for all. Tweet a tweet us that quote. It's really <laughs> famous. Quote. It's really famous, and I should know it. I'm sorry. It's the Wayne. Audrey also wrote about feminist theory and how the idea that there's an inherent opposition between men and women is far too simplistic. So this isn't battle of the sexes here, guys. Well, it's just like how people used to be like, oh, men are smarter than women. It's like, it's not, first of all, that's not right. Second of all, it's not that simple. Exactly. While feminist movements have tried to present the image of a united front, there are so many subsections and differing experiences of being a woman that it's not a singular experience. Which, again, is why this can't just be like a white middle class woman's movement. This can be said for men, too. Again, the idea of gender opposition ignores individuality and the rainbow of experiences from everyone across the gender spectrum and that's like even if you don't get into people who are gender fluid non-binary like if you take someone who identifies as a cis het man and someone who identifies as a cis het woman those groups have just so many different experiences and you can't pigeonhole them all into one character of what a man or a woman is or should be yeah. in 1978 Audrey was diagnosed with breast cancer and had a mastectomy. Naturally, Audrey wrote about her battle with cancer in the Cancer Journals, which was published in 1980, and I immediately need to get my hands on. This would also become one of her most well-known nonfiction works. In her writings, Audrey cast aside any sense of victimhood and asserted that she and others like her were fucking warriors. Right? She's like, fuck that. She was, like, the original, like, cancer warrior, like, I'm going to beat this shit into the ground. Good. Six years after that, she was diagnosed with liver cancer because what the actual fuck? Right. Like, you cannot win. shit together. God damn it. She continued to write about her fight and her essay collection from this time, A Burst of Light, published in 1989. I was like, wow, we went back. (laughs) Did I not mention she's a time traveler? Um, as long as you're not wearing pants. Audrey would win an American Book Award for this collection. Aww. She won a fuck ton of awards for her work and her activism, like, all over the place. After a decade of battling cancer, Audrey Lord died in the U.S. Virgin Islands on November 17, 1992, with her partner Gloria. Aww. Shortly before her death, Audrey had taken control over her name again, taking the African name Gamba Adisa, which means she who makes her meaning clear. Oh, which I love is that. Perfect. Yeah. And actually, this episode will come out the day after the anniversary of her death. And I did not plan that. (laughs) Legacy. So, as I said at the beginning, I have only scratched the surface of Audrey's life, writings, theory, activism, and impact. This is a general overview? Yeah. There is so much I couldn't include or miss, but Audrey is an essential figure for all writers and activists to familiarize themselves with. Audrey has won numerous awards for her writings throughout her life, and her writings still ring true even today. Her intersecting identities gave her a unique perspective on oppression and activism, and her writings showed others that they were not alone. She spoke of pride, the journey to discovery and accept one's identity, anger at the world, and strength in the face of adversity. She did so much with a life that was far too short. Right. Also... Another shout out to my favorite LGBTQ history podcast, Your Queer Story. They do a whole hour long episode on Audrey. Oh, really? And it's, it's really good. And I took some of that information. So shout out to you guys. But again, I'm half of an hour episode. I couldn't get like as deep as I wanted. Right. And 
if you I mean, maybe only... maybe we'll do when we get our Patreon up, maybe she can be one of the like maybe we'll do like a a deep dive and yeah, someone we do that. On. I mean, seriously, if you only read her Wikipedia page, you will be on there for days because it's like section after section. Yep. Writings, feminist history, or yeah, it's uh, like feminist theory, black thing. theory, you know, racial injustice. It's yeah, all it's, over the place. That sounds but, interesting, though. But she is incredible and i'm immediately gonna start getting my hands on her works i suck at poetry like it always goes over my head until i know the context but i really <laughs> want to get into the her yeah <laughs> but i really want to get into like her prose and nonfiction. those cancer di- journals sound right that sounds really real cool interesting. even though like the berlin period or whatever they i want to find that, that documentary really it's won tons of awards it's still kind oh, it of to be, yeah. bouncing around to f- different film festivals and maybe it'll be on Netflix. <laughs> maybe. We'll just request it. Just like, hey, Netflix. Everyone. Do this thing. Spam Netflix. Get the documentary, The Berlin Years, about Audre Lorde on there now. But seriously, also, if you know Ken Burns, get him on this shit. Okay? This would be an amazing 12-part oh, documentary. <laughs> it's right up his alley. He did the Mayo Clinic. We know he's familiar with like Minnesota and our thing, you know. We we it'll be the next Roosevelt's, right? I think it would. It would make a great history. Absolutely. Especially since you could use it like as a starting point into so many other things. I feel like my follow up to that is so much less because you're like my my lady did all this, and I'm like yeah, my lady did like one thing. I mean, her one thing is pretty big. I was gonna say sometimes you only have to do one thing. I mean, remember your balloon lady? Yeah, she just cool. did balloons and she was a fucking badass until they made a, her right. gravestone into her violent, Which fiery death. What the f- I was so say, tacky. I'll, I'll use the quote that I have at the end at the beginning to, to say how we were saying how doing only one thing can be okay. Because her quote that she said like in an interview was, I don't think there's anything like saving someone's life to bring you satisfaction and happiness. Who is this? Well, you know. I'm just kidding. I don't. Tell me now. So I'm covering, um, her name is Stephanie. I'm going to butcher her her last name. It's I, I think it's pronounced in the in the original Polis Cholik, but it's spelled K-W-O-L-E-K in English. So I'm, still, I'm just going to pronounce it Cholik because I think that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. So that's her name. She was a Polish immigrant born in Pittsburgh. Oh, sorry, in the Pittsburgh suburb of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, in 1923. Her father was John Chowlick, or Jan Chowlick in the original Polish. <laughs> and unfortunately, he died when she was 10 years old. Um, he was a naturalist by avocation, which means it was like a hobby or a side job, not like that wasn't like his thing. It it's was like just those like people. Something that interested him. It's like amateur uh, astronomer or right. paleontologist. Or like if your main job is something else, but you're like, oh, I take pictures on the side. Yeah. That would be your. It was a side hustle. Yeah. It was a side hustle. To bring it into modern terms. <laughs> um, and Stephanie spent a lot of time with him as a kid before he died exploring the world because naturalist. Um, so she attributed her interest in science to to her father and her interest in fashion to her mother, Nellie. That's it. That's like all that I found about her mother. Okay, so she she's into nature and fashion. Yep. And she turned butterflies into clothes, yes. didn't yep. she? And that's how she saved life. But they so. were all alive. Like <laughs> so you're wearing a dress of living butterflies. Yeah, don't scare yourself. Yeah. Because then you're not gonna have a dress anymore. You need to walk so fucking slowly. <laughs> right. Your life is over. You're just not going walk. anywhere. You just have to stand there. <laughs> Things have to come to you. God forbid you sit down. Right. Oh. In nineteen forty six, Stephanie earned a Bachelor of Science degree with a major in chemistry from the Margaret Morrison Carnegie College of Carnegie Mellon University. So the Margaret Morrison Carnegie College is like the sub college of the Carnegie Mellon College. Okay. So it was like the University of Wisconsin River Falls campus. Yeah, exactly. Okay. She had planned to become a doctor and hoped to earn um, enough money for school by getting a temporary job in the chemistry-related field and then attending medical school. I love that that's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to get a job to raise money for school in chemistry. Right. So when she graduated, she applied for a position as a chemist with the DuPont company. So DuPont is actually still around. Yeah. And some people have heard of them, some, some people haven't, but they're they're huge. They've been around for over 200 years, 
They have their hands in electronics and imaging, transportation, the industrial side of things, nutrition, biosciences. Are they Skynet? Um, yeah, basically. <laughs> Safety, construction. Um, Maternity what, care. What they say about themselves is, we work every day to turn possibilities into real, wo- real world answers that help humanity thrive. Which is vague as shit. Right. Which so they're basically sense. in a bunch of everything. Yeah. Have you everything. ever seen, I, I think it was on the IT crowd, but there's like a commercial for some kind of company and it's just all this like upbeat music and pretty imagery and like flowers blooming in fast motion. They're like innovation, revolution, right, exactly. quality, you know, and it's, yeah, it's but you a, never the, understand yeah, what they're stuff. selling. Um, <laughs> so it's really funny because I have DuPont's website pulled up. Um, and I just scrolled down because I was like, what else do they say? Um, and it actually says, there's a little chunk that says, explore our history. And it says, fighting fire with fabric. And it mentions her. <gasps> oh, I what? just noticed. I didn't see this before yet. It's a, it's a, it talks about heat, heat resistant fiber. It's because it says heat resistant fiber grew out of our work done in the late 1950s at DuPont's pioneering research laboratory by Paul Morgan and Stephanie Choutlick. I just remembered that you did tell me what yeah. your woman did. <laughs> That's how you were like. Tell me. And I'm like, I did. <laughs> but I yeah, won't so spoil I thought it. that was really interesting that I scrolled down and like saw her name. So back to like catch everybody else up on what I'm talking about. Okay. So like I said, she applied for this position at DuPont, among other companies. And her, her job interview was with W. Hale Charch, who invented the process to make cellophane waterproof. So like these are the kind of people that we're dealing with here. Um, at the time, he was a research director and... This interview happened to be a, apparently a very memorable one. Church uh, indicated that he would let Stephanie know in about two weeks if she would be offered the position or not. And instead of just accepting that, like most people do after a job interview, she asked him if he could possibly make a de- decision sooner so she could reply to another job offer she had. Oh. Church then called his secretary and in Stephanie's presence dictated an offer letter. So he was just like, fine, we'll hire you. I like to imagine, okay, so he's on the phone or whatever. He goes, and we're going to offer you X amount. And she's just sitting there shaking like, her head. He's like, no, no. Scratch higher. that. X amount? And she's just like got her thumb pointing <laughs> right? up. That would be really funny. <laughs> um, in later no, 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 years, no. she suspected that her assertiveness influenced his, her de- his decision in her favor. So she's like, I, I, you know, she's like, I think me being like, hey, I need an answer now was like, oh, okay, we want this person on our team. And you know what? That is such a gamble because some people don't take that well. They're like, oh, well, excuse you. Right. But he's like, game he's like, yeah, we're good game. with this. Yeah, right. So at DuPont, she worked in, the pol- in polymer research and she decided her work was so interesting and challenging that she decided to drop her plans for medical school and make chemistry her lifetime career. I was just about to say, remember, this is her side gig yeah, while not she's anymore. saving for medical school. Right. Um, so over the time she was at DuPont, she was engaged in several projects, including a research for new polymers, um, as well as a new condensation process that takes place at lower temperatures. So... I guess, like, normal polymer making is done at above 50 degrees Celsius, and they were trying to look for stuff done at about between zero and 40 degrees. Okay. That would make Uh, it easier, I I assume? Yeah, I would assume, too. Less face melting possibilities? The melt condensation polymerization process used in preparing nylon, for example, was instead done at 200 degrees Celsius. Fuck. So... Definitely face melting. Right? Uh, the lower temperature polycondensation process, which employs very fast reacting intermediates, makes it possible to prepare polymers that cannot be melted and only begin to decompose at temperatures above 400 degrees Celsius. So it also just gives them more stuff to work with, basically. Okay. Um, Stephanie was in her 40s when she asked. She was asked by DuPont to scout for the, these next generation fibers capable of performing in extreme conditions. So she was... Pretty well into her career, you know. So her work involved preparing intermediate synthesizing aromatic polyades of high molecular weight. This is where, don't ask me what these things are because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, yes, This is yes. the more English version, too. The polyades related to the Gatorades and the Powerades. Right. <laughs> Dissolving the polyamides and solvents and spinning these solutions into fibers. So basically, long process creating fibers. Yes. 
1965, Stephanie made an unexpected discovery that led to the creation of synthetic fibers so strong, not even steel bullets could penetrate them. <laughs> so, okay. My understanding is... They are creating new fibers yeah, trying, out of different chemicals yeah, and they're components. they're trying to find something better. Okay. They're making... I would say she found something better. They're reinventing wool, but this is I like... I reinventing nylon. This is, is bitching accurate. metal lion. Right. Nylon. I mean, it's not, it's not metal. It's still a fiber. No, but I mean metal as in like oh, rock sh- out metal. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, this is punk rock nylon. Right. So this, <laughs> nylon this, after again, dark. this is the more... English version of really long, like, what she did in her research with a bunch of words I didn't understand. So she made this unexpected discovery. She observed how polyamide molecules lined up to form a liquid crystalline polymer solution of exceptional strength and stiffness. This discovery made way for Stephanie's invention of industrial fibers that today protect and save thousands of lives, most notable among those Kevlar. This is the lady... That invented Kevlar. If you don't know what Kevlar is, Kevlar is a heat-resistant material that's five times stronger than steel and lighter than fiberglass. So if you ever see people in those bulletproof vests on TV or out in your life, I don't know what you're up to. Right. You can thank this bitch. Right. So that's why her quote, it was, um, I don't think there's anything like saving someone's life to bring you satisfaction and happiness. And she's probably saved many people's lives. Thousands. Yes. Because I'm pretty sure the military use Kevlar oh, yeah. and stuff now, too, as well. So. Oh, yeah. It's part of the, like, 200 pounds of gear you got to lug around right, exactly. in the, Although in the th- heat. Although that's probably, like, on the lower end of the... Because it's lighter than fiberglass. Like, it's incredibly light. True. But yeah, I mean, you're wearing that, and then you're wearing, like, your actual, like, army outfit. <laughs> you know, like... And then you got your, yeah. your it's helmet. It's probably not very breathable. I wonder if... How heavy your helmet is compared to a Kevlar vest, because I always yeah. feel like the helmets are heavy. really heavy. That's what I feel like, too. Yeah, that would be interesting. I should ask Jared. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on a note. <laughs> we'll have him on as a guest right. speaker and just ask him all of our idiot questions right. about the military. So today, Ke- here we go. Here's what I was talking about. Today, Kevlar is used in hundreds of products, including bulletproof vests, spacecrafts, helmets, tennis rackets, tires, and protective gloves. Wow. Tennis rackets. Yeah, no, I'm like. What part? Is, is it the wire? I would assume. I guess because you, you don't want it to like break on impact with a tennis ball. I guess, but. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's interesting. That's cool. Right? So it was completely on accident. And she actually, the when she found the initial solution, she had to convince the, the, the person who ran the spinneret, that's what it was called, to actually spin it into fiber. Like, so she's like, this is weird. Let's spin this into fiber. And then it ended up being really strong and getting made into Kevlar. I love that. She's like, okay, I'm observing some weird reactions here. Let's spin let's, it and just let's see. see. Yeah. And the person's like, no. And she's like, come she's on. Like, yeah. Come on. Let's, let's go. Let's Aren't go. you a little curious? Come right. on. So I'm gonna, I'm going to do it. This is what this is. She later explained in her 1993 speech, we're not going to understand this, but the chemists out there will probably appreciate that I'm including this. is this. for you, chemists. So this is her part of her speech. It says, the solution was un- unusually low viscosity, turbid, stir opalescent, and buttermilk in appearance. Conventionally, conventional polymer solutions are usually clear or translucent and have the viscosity of molasses. The solution that I prepared looked like a dispersion, but was totally filterable through a pint a fine pore filter. This was a liquid crystalline solution, but I did not know that at the time. So, and I put in my notes, it says this kind of cloudy solution that she's talking about usually was thrown away. Oh! Because like, usually they're like obvious, because it's usually translucent so they're, I think they, it's probably just like, oh, this obviously isn't what we want kind of a situation. Right. But yeah, that, that's why she was like, hey, run this, like let's run this through the spinneret and make a fiber and see what it does kind yeah, of Yeah, just, just for funsies. Yeah, so... Shirts and Googles. So at the time, both her supervisor and laboratory director understood the significance of her discovery. um, And it opened a new field of polymer chemistry, like from that. And by 1971, so it took from when she discovered it in 64. 1971 is when like modern Kevlar was kind of introduced. Okay, but she discovered it in 1964. And then I think it was probably just turning it into like the heat resistant version that you know today you know it takes time yeah i'm very familiar with modern kevlar me too use it my daily right so apparently the the reason uh kevlar is so 
like strong is that the polymer molecules that are shaped like rods or matchsticks are highly oriented. Like so apparently like, So they the molecules all line up. Way. Yeah, and that's why it's together. So okay. Yeah. They're not so, like wishy-washy, timey-wimey like, noodle Ooh. arms. No. Cool. So after that, Stephanie was not very involved in de- developing the practical uses of Kevlar, unfortunately, because once the senior managers were informed of the discovery, they immediately assigned a whole different group of people to work on him because life. Actually, okay, they, they assigned different people to work on different aspects, and that's what she said. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm sure it was kind of like, oh, you know more about this stuff. Okay. I'm hoping. Or they were just like, no, we're giving it to someone else. <laughs> it was either, hey, cool, thanks. This isn't yours anymore. Or, oh, hey, this person is really well versed in right. applications for defense. And this is the tennis racket guy. Okay. And this is the um, glove person. So, so while she didn't get to work on practical applications, she still worked on the chemistry side of things and the investigations of Kevlar derivatives and like what else it can be used for. She also didn't... Um, profit from it because she she signed over the patent to the company because she made it while she was Probably. working for the company so that makes sense yep. so i mentioned a few things but i have another note on kevlar so it's currently used in over 200 applications i already mentioned tennis rackets it's also used in skis parachute lines boats airplanes ropes cables obviously bulletproof vests it has been used for car tires which that's actually what they were kind of looking for originally. It was new material to make car tires out of instead of nylon. And that would discovered be cool. Kevlar. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, Did it not work out? I mean, it, they were used in, like, I think they're used to reinforce car tires, but not, like, as an entire tire. I don't have a Kevlar tire. No, but that okay. would be pretty sweet. Um, I couldn't afford it anyway. They are also anyway. used in firefighter boots, um, cut-resistant gloves, and armored cars. They've kind of been used in protective building materials like they've used they've used them in bomb proof materials obviously um hurricane safe doors and bridge reinforcements the bridge reinforcements i didn't know that's smart right well especially if they're you know you have those bridges that have the thick braided metal cables right the cables might even have kevlar in that's them. probably what it is so as a side note she is dead by now which is sad sad but um during the week of her death the one millionth bullet-resistant vest with Kevlar was sold. Oh! So, like, it's kind of an interesting correlation. The Droid Razor. I don't know if, the, if it's the new one or the old one, because they're coming out with, like, a new Razor, I heard. Like the phone? Yes. Motorola Droid Razor. Razors were so the, the coolest phone. This is the old one. No, they're coming out with a new one. Oh, my God. Named the same thing. Um, apparently had a Kevlar unibody. I didn't know that. So, it, like, wouldn't break when you dropped it? Yeah, I think so. That's cool. I know. Now, if you can only make them toilet-proof. I have only I mean, done fo- that once. I mean, my phone is submersion-proof, so mine's kind of toilet-proof. But I've never dropped mine in a toilet. Thank God. I only Because did honestly, it- I would be like, nope, need a new phone. <laughs> I only did it once, and I was really pissed off because it was after my first hip surgery. <sighs> and because I had, like, a whole fuck ton of bandages on. Oh, yeah, that would have to be And I was having ice packs. So I was I was living in sweatpants. And so my pocket was on the <laughs> side. Well, they don't know. The listeners don't know. The chemists don't know. <laughs> and this is all for them. Yes, it is. But so I was used to having my phone in my side pocket. Well, the first time I wore jeans after my Aww. surgery, I put it she's, in my back she's pocket. She's a back pocket phone girl, which I can't do. I am. It's. I see it as butt armor. Hmm. yeah well I also see it as i'm gonna sit down and squash my phone or drop it in the toilet which obviously does happen not anymore <laughs> again it was because i was so used to having my phone in my front pocket so slipped my pants down and my phone went ploop and i mean I was at least sad. that's like before you did anything you peed on your phone didn't you no okay good no it was like in the process of me yeah, taking and, my and that's pants what I'm off saying. like at least it happened then and not like as you were pulling your pants up or something, just and you taking had a giant dump yeah, on my like, phone. I did try the rice; it didn't fucking work. Yeah, I think that was when you lived here. It was. Yeah, it was because my first hip surgery. And I was really pissed off. Yeah, I remember that. So my next section is awards and honors. So for her discovery of Kevlar, Stephanie was awarded the Dupont Company's Lavoisier Medal for an outstanding technical achievement in 1995. They presented it to her as a quote. 
persistent experimentalist and role model whose discovery of liquid crystalline polymates led to Kevlar aramid fibers, end quote. At the time of her death, she was still the only female employee to receive that honor. I didn't look up if anyone's received it since she died. But it's only been like five years since she died, so I kind of am going with probably not. It sounds like she set the bar pretty damn yeah, high. Yeah, right? Like, she invented Kevlar. Um, yeah, what the fuck did you do today? So her discovery obviously generated several billion dollars of revenue that she never saw any of, which is sad. I mean, hopefully she got a raise or something. You know, I always kind of wonder about that. So, like, say they come out with a new iPhone and it's got this revolutionary technology and we're all like, oh, man, go Apple. Like, who actually came up with that, though? Like, what are their names? sometimes, too. Like, okay, Steve Jobs, cool. Yeah, but let's uh, let's be honest. You're like the the spokesperson. You're not the person that actually is inventing any of this Yeah, like, who are the guys behind Steve Jobs, like, when it got really big? I know. Who were developing, That's what I was thinking about, like, with Google and stuff. I'm like, who's on the back end? Like, who's the person, like, doing all this shit? A bunch of people who won't respond to my fucking emails. Wait, why? (laughs) What problem do you have with Google? I have so many problems with Google in my my line of work, because Google is such a big deal. and And they're, like, troubleshooting stuff is always for, like... Have you, are you sure you're using the right password? Have you tried turning it off and on again? Basically. That is like the number one IT question. And sometimes, honestly, before you call an IT person or IT line or whatever, do that first. Because then if they're like, have you tried to, you can be like, yes, I did. I'm not an idiot. Here's the second part to that. Clear your cache and do a hard refresh. Yeah, if you're just doing internet stuff, do that one. Yeah, if I had a nickel for every time I was like, did you do this? And it fixed something, right. I could quit my job. So even <laughs> my husband, who's actually like in IT, sometimes he'll like fix a form. And then his coworker will be like, this form's not fixed. And he's like, no, I fixed it. Clear your cash. Yeah, and God do, a re- do a refresh. And then they're like, oh, okay, it's working now. Yes. Yeah. So she also won... The National Medal of Technology and the IRI Achievement Award and was added to the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Yay! Yeah, I like that one. She's received the Chemical Pioneer Award, which is um, from the American Institute of Chemists, which is cool. And an award for creative invention from the American Chemical Society. So, like, even, like, chemists are like, damn. (laughs) Chemists, this whole episode, or at least this section, is dedicated to you. Yeah. Um, in 1997, she received the Perkin Medal from the American Chemical Society. So there's the American Institute of Chemists, the American Chemical Society, who apparently has two different awards <laughs> because she won both of them. And then in 2003, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. <gasps> we need to look up everyone who's in that. And then we need to go to it. We do. Where is it? I Ladyville, Louisiana. No. I'm just trying to think of It's probably in like D.C. Seneca Falls, New York. Okay. Because that's the location of the 1848 Women's Rights Convention. Oh, there we go. Yeah, now we're Seneca Falls, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse us for a moment while we plan our trip to Seneca Falls, New York. She's also been awarded honorary degrees by the Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon University, which I find interesting because she already had a degree from them, so that she they must have given her an honorary degree in something else. They but gave it her say what? all the degrees. Right? Um she, Hey, are you a you're an ESL teacher now. Honorary degree. Right. Um she also so Carnegie Mellon University, Worcester Polytechnic Uni- Institute and Clarkson University all awarded her um honorary degrees. And then the Royal Society of Chemists grants a biennial. I don't know what bi I know what biannual is. Biennial is either twice a year or every, every other, two years. Every other. Okay. Um, so every other year, the Royal Society of Chemists grants the Stephanie L. Chowlick Award Aww. to recognize exceptional contributors in the area of material chemistry for scientists working outside of the UK. Because the Royal Society of Chemists is in the UK. Yeah, they have their <laughs> they have their own like UK division, and then there's the international right. division. Um, Chalik was also featured as one of the Royal Society of Chemistry's 175 Faces of Chemistry. Aww. So, um, she retired in 1986, um, from DuPont. So she worked, her entire career ended up being with them. Yeah. 
I um, love because that was going to be a temp right? job. However, she continued. She she da, 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 da. she continued consulting for them for the rest okay. of her life. Um, she served on both the National Research Council and the Academy of the Sciences. Um, and during her forty years of research as a scientist, she filed and received either seventeen or twenty-eight patents. Like there's a discrepancy on exactly how many she filed. A so, bunch. A bunch. Between 17 and 28. She also often tutored chem- um, tutored chemistry, and she also devised and wrote about um, classroom demonstrations, some of which are still used in school today, such That's as the adorable. nylon rope trick. What's the nylon rope know, trick? I'm Googling it. So the nylon rope trick is, um, it demonstrates the fundamental chemical principles of polymerization, which makes sense. So basically, it looks like you basically put, you have like nylon rope around like a tube and then a solution of some type of chloride, which does not dissolve in, or I don't know, but basically you like (laughs) put the nylon rope into this solution that has an indicator dye in it and then it turns pink. That's kind of what I'm understanding. I don't actually understand what's going on. Chemists. Tell us more about the nylon rope trick. Right. Also. But it's cool. I'm straight. She said she tutored in chemistry. I'm straight up imagining her. This well-accomplished chemistry quen tutoring chemistry some. what? Quen. Oh. Like queen. I know. It's okay. like the fun I way to say I figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard it, I'm like, what is a quen? <laughs> it's, it's just a fun way to say queen. Um, but like tutoring some like shitty high schooler who's like, like, bitch, I made Kevlar. <laughs> like, oh man, I don't get chemistry. And she, it like to her, it's two plus two equals right. four. And she's like, oh my fucking How God. Do you not understand this. Timothy, you're going to die in the woods. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> but I also like that she like, came up with demonstrations to teach kids these basic principles. Because she was sick of fucking around right. with Timothy, who didn't get it. <laughs> God damn it. Um, she died at the age of 90. Um, damn! On June 18th, 2014, natural causes. I mean, I'm sad she's not around anymore, but 90 natural causes. Damn! Right, I know. Yeah, so, five years ago. But yeah, like, I didn't include, like, a legacy, because I kind of just included the legacy in the awards section. Yeah, she I mean, she's... And- Good grief. Yeah. So she, like I said, she only did like one thing, but that one thing did a lot of things. Well, and she continued with her chemistry research throughout her life. And then she even used her knowledge to educate kids. That's what I like, too. And she she also like kept going back and being like, yeah, you know, if you need my expertise, I'll consult. Yeah. You know, and then she was like on the board of different. Like, I think that's just amazing. I like I read that and I was going to do her for last week. When we did um, soldiers, we, yeah, but and I should have because she was a chemist; she still would have fit. But the other lady was super interesting too. Because so. you had the wine that had like the periodic table label. Yep, table label. So I just ended up doing two chemists in a row. That's totally fine. My love of STEM ladies. I almost did two veterans in a row, but I purposely I was like, we're, we're gonna have some breathing room. <laughs> I love gonna... like, let's do breathing room, and I'm like, now nah, we're just doing two chemists in a row. Yep. I don't have the brain capacity to like function on anything else right now that's super cool though it is so kelly no (laughs) do you want me to go first no i can go first okay what are Um, you thankful for i'm thankful for all the love and support that i've been getting lately just from either from people i wasn't expecting it from like to be like oh you know have a good surgery and we can't wait for you to get back to work and blah 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 blah. and you know just from the, the and from the people i did expect it from like from you and my family like it's just I've been super internally stressed out and trying not to let it show. And, like, because my surgery's tomorrow, today is, like, the one day I'm, like, super manic and I've been a bitch to my husband. But, like, you know, there's just all this, like, people being loving on me and I'm thankful for that. You know, I was kind of on the fence about showing you love and support, but now I'm really glad I did. (laughs) You know, it's like sometimes you're just like, do you need it? Like, Mm. am I just coddling her at this point? (laughs) Does unconditional support mean anything? Does like it really unconditional. Isn't conditional support a little more meaningful? Like you have <laughs> to work for it. That's funny. I'm really thankful. I went to my first con or like nerd convention yesterday. 
I went to convert, not convergence, Galaxy, uh, Galaxy Con in Minneapolis. Um, Dan and Karina were there. Oh, were they? Mm-hmm. I didn't see them. There was someone else I know who was there mm-hmm. who I didn't see, but she commented on my Facebook stuff and was like, I was there. And I'm like, how did I, I not see you? I only know that because when I did like the Canvas and Chardonnay, she was supposed to come and she was like, oh, I'll be at GalaxyCon. Oh, was that were, that's, Friday? That's what Karina, yeah, they went up Friday. Oh. Because it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, did they go all the days? Yeah, they, oh, they shit. go all the days. Good for them. Plus yeah, I think they dress up. They used to do Jay and Silent Bob, but I don't. I don't know if they still do that or if they do something else. That's funny. I saw a few Silent Bobs where I was like, "Are you the guy? Right? Like, like are you damn, just are you just damn. trying to be really low key and just like that would skulk be, around? If talk? I ever become like famous, make us podcast famous people. If I ever become famous, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Is like because people have done that before where they go in their costume. And they'll just like walk around a con and sometimes people don't recognize them. I'm like, that's what I want to do. That would I want to be that person that when I walk by, you're like, is it really them? And then yes, and it then, is. And then you enter a lookalike contest for yourself and lose. So many people have done that. They've either lost or like um, Adele did that, but it was like a singing contest and she went last. And But she like had a fake nose on and like, it's really funny because if you watch the YouTube video, like people in the audience are like, they're like, wow, that's like, they sound exactly like her. And then they're like, halfway through, they're like... One person's like, I think that might actually be her. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, but it was really cool. Like, yeah, then like all the, like, you know, once one person said it, it kind of like spread and people are like, shit, that's actually her. Oh my God. But that's yeah, there funny. Is a famous, I can't remember who it was now, but there, Charlie Chaplin lost a lookalike contest. There was someone more, for Charlie more, Chaplin. Yeah, no, that's, there's that one, but there was someone more recent than that. And they also lost. And I'm like, that has to be humiliating. I mean, but it, you know, when you're when you play a role in a movie, you specifically look a specific way. Like, yeah, you, like if you want, like, look at photos of Chris Pratt when he's not doing Guardians of the Galaxy. He doesn't always look like that. Yeah. You know, so like, I just think that would be funny, though. But so I was really glad to go with that. I went with my uh, co-host for the other podcast I do, Shit Showtime, the Goofy Movie Podcast, where two longtime friends shoot the shit about movies. And so he dressed up as Bender from Breakfast Club, and I went as uh, Allison Reynolds or The Basket Case. I don't think anyone knew who we were, though. Ah, that's funny. Because... The, the, it's closet cosplay. So we just kind of looked like we were dressed. I was like maybe a weird goth girl and he was just 80s, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we got pictures with Sean Gunn, who I was very excited about. There was no one in line for him. And I'm like, you people don't deserve him. I mean, even when he came to... Because he came to nerding out. I don't know if he came this year because I didn't go this year. But last year he came to nerding out, and yeah, when we were there, there was like, yeah, it was. But I mean, sad. Well, it's one of the things. It's like, okay, is he one of those people that everyone hits early, so they make sure they get his signature and stuff? Well, and there were a couple of other really big names that were in the booths right next to him. Like Batista was there, and those lines were packed. Love going to cons, and then like randomly, there's just fucking wrestlers, and I'm like. How does this fit in? Well, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Batista was? Yeah, was, he was oh, Drax. Yeah, yeah I but we that. Di- I did see Mark Henry, who's a famous wrestler. Yeah. No, like, and he arm wrestled a, or a two-year-old girl and lost. lost. Yeah, okay, of course good. he did. But yeah. But like, I think she beat him fair I and love, square. I love James Gunn. Sean Gunn? Sean, I love both of them. <laughs> because James Gunn made Guardians of the Galaxy and yep. Sean Gunn is Sean Gunn from, um, you know... But I, I love him from, like, Gilmore Girls days. Yeah. So I've been, a, you know, big, then, big fan for a long time. I also got a picture with uh, Jonathan Frake. Yeah, who I had no in, idea who that was. He was in Star Trek Next Generation. I he know has the amazing because, facial hair. Because, he, like, the, it shows a picture of him and then, like, you know, like, a red yeah. shirt and I think him, like, on his poster. But I was still like, I don't know who you are. Well, and that was one Caleb, my co-host, really wanted to get. And so I was like, yeah, I'll take a picture right. with you. But I also got it, to though? see... I don't know. I didn't pay for it because it wasn't for me. It's it's spendy. Yeah, but I, know, I did get I, to see Uhura. She was across cool. the way. I also got a glimpse of George Takei and William Shatner. I know, sometimes it's really cool just to see them because you're like, I'm not going to pay like three hundred dollars to take a picture with. You. I always forget they're real fucking people. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Like, I'm looking like, at you in real life. William Shatner, no, but like, yeah, George Takei or Takai, like that would be one I would be like, <gasps> you're. 
But like seeing Nichelle Nichols, like I yeah, wish I had cool. actually gotten a picture with her. That was kind of the one where I was like, like I would pay because she has an incredible story. Oh, yeah. So maybe maybe I'll cover her for the podcast and then get a picture with her and yeah, be cool. like, I love you so much. Secret fangirl. Yes, basically. Anyway, but I had a lot of fun at the con and it was it was. I was happy my friend invited me and it was fun to get dressed up and I'm uh, going to work harder to put together my Alan Grant cosplay for Jurassic Park and then he's going to go as John Hammond and we're going to fucking live it up. Can I come with you? Absolutely. I'll dress as like Ellie or something. Please do. <laughs> Just like That would be so much fun. That would fun. be fun because then that's like, well, we need an Ian Malcolm, but... We don't. It's, but it's like, it's like the three major people from the first film. Then. You know what? Ian Malcolm can suck my dick. He doesn't have to be there. You'd like that. Actually, here's the thing. <laughs> I I owned everything that I used for my Ali Sheedy cosplay. I probably own everything I would need for an Ian Malcolm cosplay because he just I wears know. black. He just wears black. And that's basically my wardrobe. Right. But that would be fun. Anyway. If you're okay <laughs> me, with me like cutting in on your other. Hell Yeah. And then we'll just go to all the female ones and be like, Caleb, you can just stand over there. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get in on it. I know, he, he loves would. that. Fun. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory and listening to us geek the fuck out. Ooh. Maybe one day we'll go because I know they have podcast cons. Yeah. Maybe one day we will be at a podcast con and you can come see us. Is there a lady con? Is I, there like feminist con? I don't know. We'll sell stickers. I was like, I'm pretty say- sure. Yeah. We'll sell stickers that say, don't be a fucking turf. Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Thank you. <laughs> so we were we were talking about my Audrey Lord. My brain is not functioning. That's totally fine. But basically, it's someone who's like, oh, yeah, women's rights. But if you're a trans woman, you don't count. You don't get right. And yeah, because like, it was like when, when I covered Marsha P. Johnson and mm-hmm. she was like, she helped write the New York like laws. But then they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to put them through. But minusing trans people. And that is what intersectionality is all fucking about. Exactly, it's so frustrating. I know. It's dumb. Anyways. Anyway, this <laughs> is the end of the episode, not the beginning of another rant. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh, please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really helps us get the word out to more people, I'm helps really us like get above seen. three, I'll be happy. And helps Kelly heal. Yes. Also, help my surgical scars heal people. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory and Instagram at WAH Pod. No. And Twitter <laughs> at you. WAH underscore par- pod. Part. Uh, our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where I post our show notes. And our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you about anything. Herstory heroes in your life, women you'd like us to cover random shit we're here <laughs> anything for it. and kelly's gonna be laid out for yeah. a while she I, needs i'm off work for like a month just you know come chat anyway thank you again so much for listening i'm emily i'm kelly and have an empowered day bye, bye.